Welcome to episode 114 of the GTO on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is federal analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic, and I want to talk about Ericsson and Nokia announcing a collaboration with Google for network slicing. So the immediate question I have is, what does it mean for 5G service delivery on Android devices? So let me provide some, some background here. The GSMA estimates that uh, the, the, the market potential for network slicing is projected uh, at $300 billion, and that's by 2025. And we've talked about you know, network slicing. I mean, this is going to be one tremendous way that operators can really monetize the billions of dollars that they're investing in their 5G buildouts. What this um, collaboration involves is something called User Equipment Route Selection, or URSP, and it's a feature that enables one device using an Android operating system to connect to multiple network slices simultaneously. And it's a feature that both uh, Ericsson and Nokia um, plan to, uh, to support uh, with Android devices. So, um, you know, it's super compelling. You know, the other thing that I find interesting about this is that um, it allows uh, operators to use existing network assets, including LTE, um, and you don't need a 5G standalone core to enable network slicing in this scenario. So I, I think it's pretty compelling. Um, obviously, you cover devices, so would love to get your insights on, on how this might affect um, things like the Google Pixel uh, platform. Yeah, so they did this um, collaboration as a result of testing. Um, so the collaboration is using a Google Pixel 6 Pro. Uh, this... What, what was the acronym? Is it URSP? Yes, URSP. Yeah, so the URSP capability allows for up to five network slices at once. Um, this is the first time that network slicing um, has been shown with multiple slices. Um, so that's already a big improvement right. uh, because the reality is network slicing is kind of useless if you only have one slice. Right. That's what we have today. Um, but uh, I know that my understanding is that Android 12 already supports network slicing, mm -hmm. but it only supports one slice. Okay. Um, this this new URSP allows for five slices. Um, and a lot of the conversation talk that I'm seeing around this network slicing is very um, enterprise focused. Right. Um, and I think this will be a natural progression um, for things like private 5G um, and private networks, whereas um, you start delivering very specific services uh, to end user devices that are enterprise specific. You know, I think some of the examples I've seen were, you know, a network slice specifically for, you know, video calling where you have a secure line yeah. um, and, and, and it's actually, you know, its own APN and operating on a, an entirely different plane. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it delivers a consistent user experience where you get exactly the amount of bandwidth and latency yep. um, and, and packet drops. And, you know, this is going to be one of those things where um, I think network slices are going to be a, a key component in a lot of um, SLAs. So yep. I think, you know, I think there's going to be, you know, different types of SLAs for different slices. And right. those will be opportunities for, for the carriers to monetize their networks in ways that uh, you know they aren't today. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. And what's really interesting, if you think about, you know, being able to support up to five slices, then, you know, an operator can sort of stack the pricing. So for, you know, one discrete slice for a certain latency level, they can charge for that. But if they layer on top of that a slice for a guaranteed, you know, throughput or like you mentioned, you know, you know, packet, you know, uh, validation, data packet validation, um, they can they can get into these, you know, pricing stack scenarios. And I agree with you. Where it's really going to shine is within enterprise. So for consumer, you know, one slice is going to do it for things like uh, low latency mobile gaming and cloud gaming and that sort of thing. But um, I think it's it's super impressive technology, and we will definitely um, keep our eyes uh, on this and uh, as things develop, report back on future podcasts. But let's move to your first topic this week, and there was a big announcement. I was unable to to tune in, but you did. I was on a plane flying back from Georgia, but. T-Mobile and SpaceX announced um, some details around a collaboration. You want to provide your insights. Yeah, so SpaceX and T-Mobile had previously teased that they would be having an event today earlier in the week. Yeah. Um, and I uh, surmised that it would likely be related to satellite uh, connectivity for smartphones. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, it is. Um, essentially, this partnership is not really an announcement of any service yeah. or any products at this point, um, but something that will be available next year, um, which makes sense because uh, it is dependent on satellites. SpaceX's uh, satellites being able to launch their next gen Starlink V2 satellites yeah. that have antennas um, that can broadcast the signal um, the key is that these antennas are larger than the existing antennas on the um, existing Starlink satellites. So that's why there have to be new satellites. Yeah. Um, and in addition to that, those new satellites uh, will be broadcasting uh, on T-Mobile's 1900 megahertz PCS band. Mm -hmm. um, uh, from the information that I've been given, there will be approximately 10 megahertz of spectrum uh, for this. Um, I believe it's five down, five up. Um, so it's not really designed to be a very high capacity adder. Yeah. Um, this is really more about coverage and delivering service in places where um, people just are not used to having service at all on any carrier. Um, and on top of that, I think this will, will serve as a real added public safety um, capability because you know if, you're, if you fall off your mountain bike, and you're riding in the middle of a national park, there's nobody to help you. Right. Um, and you've got to help yourself. And th the truth is this, this connectivity will not really initially be used for data. Mm -hmm. um, it will primarily be for messaging. Um, and and T-Mobile says they're going to work with all the major messaging services to enable uh, this capability. Um, and then eventually voice, and then hopefully down their own data yeah. um, as, as these network cells get better. Because... As Elon explained, these satellites are much larger cells. So you have a lot more users per cell. Yeah. And each of these, you know, uh, satellite cells are, you know, two to four megabits per second, yeah. which means that you have hundreds or thousands of users on the same line. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, text and voice are much easier to do than data. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like, you know, data is a, is a hope down the road. Um, yeah. But really what this to me feels like is it's just another evolution of 5G um, being used to advance, um, you know, 
network capabilities and NTN. Um, there was no talk of NTN specifically within 3GPP. Yeah. Um, but I have a feeling that um, they may be pushing for this to be a part of that standard um, or this to be utilizing that standard because it sounds like T-Mobile and SpaceX want other carriers to participate. And I feel like 3GPP NTN is the only way to do that. Um, so the weird thing is that um, T-Mobile says you don't need any new devices to make this work. Yeah. Your existing devices will be able to take advantage of this. So this might not actually necessarily be a standardized approach, um, but also T-Mobile tends to be the most standardized carrier of them all. Right. Um, so I, I have a feeling this might just be, uh, you know, maybe a baby step towards NTN. Right. Uh, but everything that they're saying very much follows um, most of my expectations of what other carriers will do once they have access to, you know, satellites um, and, and deploy this kind of spectrum. Other than that, um, I think this is just something that will really help T-Mobile be able to potentially claim 100% coverage. Yeah, no, it, it fits very well in a T-Mobile strategy, you know, from a coverage standpoint. Um, I did read uh, an article on Mobile World Live after I landed and, you know, it seemed like Elon was sort of soft pedaling the capability. Certainly, you know, they were, he was talking to text coverage and, you know, some voice coverage. And then I, I read something, he stated something like maybe a picture or two. <laughs> so, um, and this, there were no, like you mentioned, no concrete plans for a launch. This is just sort of a, you know, call it a, call it a verbal proof of concept, you know, strategy, whatnot, but, um, you know, T-Mobile isn't the only one that's focused on this. So in SpaceX, so AST Mobile, uh, Space Mobile, we've spoken about them uh, before, they're launching a, a phone to satellite service and, and have arrangements with AT&T, Rakuten and, and Vodafone. And then we have OmniSpace who's doing the, they are the ones that are explicitly stating that they are going 3GPP NTN as a standard. Right. We talked about on, that on a prior podcast as well, but but I think this is great. I mean, it's, you know, it's probably a baby step to, you know, to eventually, you know, adopting a standard and making this ubiquitous. Um, I think it's compelling because um, I, I have property in Colorado and I have a satellite um, device that supports texting. And I use that when I go, when I go hiking and I have to pay, you know, a monthly service charge for that. So in the future to have that capability on, on my iPhone or my Android device would be pretty compelling. So but uh, yeah, let's move to my second topic this week. And I want to talk about Huawei. We haven't talked about them in a while. And are they on the run in India? And so it's uh, it's no surprise that uh, Huawei has been shut out of a lot of the, uh, the RFQ activity uh, in India. But some recent developments are, um, you know, there was something called a, a lookout circular, an LOC that's been issued against a Huawei uh, telecommunications uh employee executive, and it's uh, been issued by the Indian uh, Income Tax Department. So, um, you know, this is, you know, another blow to Huawei. I, you know, I think that ship had already sailed in India, but this doesn't look very good for Huawei just, you know, on, on the global stage, even with respect to the continued business that they're doing with Chinese operators. But I don't know if you caught any of this news, but what, what do you think about all that? I mean, India and China have a very complicated relationship lately. Yeah. And I think India is more than happy to um, push out a Chinese vendor um, if it means that there's potential for Indian vendors to do well. Yeah. Um, so I think at this point, um, Huawei 
is not really much of a factor on infrastructure or on devices in India. Yeah, yeah I would agree. And I mean, to my knowledge, there aren't a lot of Indian, you know, infrastructure, you know, providers. What, you know, like the reliances the world are doing, they're they're leaning heavily into software defined and cloud native and common off the shelf servers utilizing open RAN and VRAN. Um, to, you know, kind of improve their agility and, and lower their, their CapEx and their OpEx. But yeah, yeah, I think, you know, it was already a foregone conclusion, but again, just not, not a good, you know, not, not great optics for Huawei on, on that front. But let's move to your second topic this week. And you want to talk about uh, North America smartphone shipments. Yeah, so North America smartphone shipments, um, basically down 6%. Um, this is due to this is uh, based on a Canalis report, um, and they basically said that um, you know smartphone was already kind of a, a single digits um, in Q1 and Q4, yeah. um, and it passed you know the negative territory in terms of shrinkage, um, but you know units are still pretty stable in the you know um, low to mid 30s, um, but growth did did kind of fall off. So yeah. we're kind of in a uh, stagnant scenario, I would say right now. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, we've kind of been in the 30 to 40 million range for a while now with a few peaks and valleys. Um, so I don't really expect smartphone numbers to really drop dramatically more. Yeah. Um, that said, you know, things happen. Um, and you know, there's a lot of economic uncertainty still. Yeah. Uh, so I think that this will be a continued story to watch to see what, what North America's smartphone numbers are like. Mm -hmm. But that said, um, they also talked about what are the top shipping, you know, smartphones in the North American market. And um, basically it's nine Samsung and Apple devices and one Motorola device. Yeah. Um, so it's like the iPhone 13, iPhone SE, iPhone 13 Pro Max, iPhone 13, iPhone 12, S22 Ultra, Moto G Power, Galaxy A13, iPhone 13 Mini, S20, Galaxy S20. So those are the top 10 devices. Um, and yeah, it's it's a it's a difficult market to be in. But um, I think when you look at overall shipments, you know, Apple is shipping about uh, 18 million devices, Samsung shipping about nine. Motorola's got three. TCL is one point eight. Yeah. Google's not even at a million. Right. Um, and yeah, it's you know market share numbers are pretty lopsided. Apple's got forty eight percent market share. Samsung's got twenty three percent. Motorola's got eight. TCL's got five, and Google's got one. So mm -hmm. you know, um, it, it's a pretty lopsided market, and I think that's why you're seeing a lot of these articles coming out about uh you know, Apple and, and iMessage and blue bubbles and green bubbles. So yeah. overall, I think the U.S. smartphone market isn't really going to change drastically one way or the other. Um, but I think that, um, you know, the overall market has kind of become a little stagnant once again. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned inflationary pressures and this might be, you know, uh, people pumping the brakes on on phone upgrades and that sort of thing. Um, Apple does have an announcement coming up, right, in early September, 
And that's typically, you know, September is sort of the, you know, the, the time of the year when we see, you know, new phones, right, launch from both Apple and Samsung. So, yeah, you know, yeah so I think we'll see a bounce back there. You know, another thing to note, um, I, I saw recent shipments on PCs and they're way off. Um, they're, they're much more off than the 6%, you know, drop that, um, that you spoke yeah. to in Q2 for smartphones. So, you know, I think consumer devices in general, people are um, probably pumping the brakes temporarily, but, but it should recover, I think, as we get to the latter part of the year. But let me move to my third and final topic this week. And I want to talk about Rakuten Mobile. Um, they announced an open VRAN lab in Japan. And so my immediate thought was, you know, what, what's the impact? So um, it's a joint R&D activity with Tokyo Institute of Technology and the University of Tokyo. And uh, Rakuten is saying that its virtualized open RAN, uh, VRAN verification platform uh, is now available to operators, vendors, and other enterprises. And um, the, the lab is sort of designed to promote, you know, disaggregated architecture in general and containerization in the cloud native functionality and, you know, the leverage of, as I mentioned earlier, common off the shelf servers to, uh, to provide, you know, improvements in CapEx and OpEx. And, and so I think this just sort of continues to solidify Rakuten's journey in um, what they're doing with uh, their greenfield deployments with LTE and now 5G. Um, to try to drive a lot of cost out of it. But as we know, this is not an, an easy thing to do. There's a lot of integration involved and Rakuten has stumbled in the past, but what are your thoughts? Um, I, I think this is a natural progression of Rakuten wanting to um, you know, expand its, its capabilities and its relationships. Um, I, you know, in general, I find labs to be uh, a place that are, or a place that is designed to enable companies to work together more easily. Yeah. Um, and I think that ultimately that's what's needed for something like VRAN. Um, and especially a company like Rakuten that's still trying to grow um, its footprint both within Japan and globally. So yeah, uh, I think it's a good thing, but I, I also don't think it's really much outside the ordinary. Yeah, no, I agree too. I, I think, it, again, it just sort of solidifies the journey that they're on. So. But let's move to your third and final topic this week. You want to talk about AT&T and their announcement around supporting a number of devices for their mid-band uh, 5G deployment. Yeah, so when AT&T announced its you know, 5G deployment, there was some conservative uh, estimates around how many devices they would be able to support, both with C-band and the 3.45 gigahertz band. Um, as they said that all devices will have C-band, but some might not have 3.45. Okay. Um, but now it seems like AT&T is um, kind of backpedaling on that conservatism in a good way yeah. um, by saying that they will support 30 devices with both C-band and 3.45, which means that you know, users will have a lot more access to a lot more spectrum. And some of the devices go as far back as uh, the iPhone 12. So. Oh. Um, it's not even current generation devices. It's also last generation devices, which yeah. I think is great for people who um, already own these devices. But it's also great for people who might, you know, be trying to get a cheaper device, but still want to have access to, you know, the newest capabilities and the fastest network. Um, that said, I think there's something to consider that, you know, performance on these older devices will very likely not be as good yeah. uh, as it would be on a newer device. Like I'd say an iPhone 14, 
um, will very likely have a more up-to-date RF front end, you know, better transceiver, better antennas, yeah, um, yeah. better modem, and better power management, and it'll probably get better performance at lower power than, say, a, you know, an iPhone 12. So yeah. um, I think it's really important that a lot of people understand that when you don't get the best device that's available on market, um, you probably are also not getting the best coverage and speeds. Yeah. Um, and it's probably not the operator's fault. Um, I've actually been running into this a lot um, with some users who, um, you know, went around the country saying, you know, T-Mobile's 5G is awful. Right. And then they actually only have, you know, an iPhone 12 or they have an iPhone 12, 11. I'm like, you can't even get 5G. No. <laughs> so um, I really do think it's important for operators to educate um, their customers on the, 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 the differences between devices. But, yeah. you know, then there's this whole, you know, relationship with OEMs and, you know, an OEM that ships a $300 device doesn't want to be seen as inferior to a, a thousand dollar device, even though it is in almost every imaginable way. Right. Yeah. Well, you get what you pay for, right? Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and I, you know, you're, you're, you're quite active on social media like I am. And, you know, I, I saw one of your posts about, you know, um, your experience with T-Mobile and I saw, you know, <laughs> All, all of the replies, some positive, some not so positive. You're absolutely right. It depends on the device you have and the capability of that device and uh, the age of that device. So, but anyway, buddy, it was another great podcast this week. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone would like to reach out to us to provide insights on a future 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will's at Will Tone Tech and I'm at Anshal Saad. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.